Thank you, Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the peace and joy come after righteousness has prevailed. After there's been a way established that we are connected with heaven, there's no interruption to our communion with God, there's no hindrance between us and his presence, there's not a veil even between us anymore. Jesus tore it in two, but how many of you know we, we put it back up sometimes? There's a lot of reasons for that. But today, as we, we finish out this worship set, I just want to urge you to take a moment before the Lord. Is there anything that you're involved with that's hindering you in your communion with heaven? Is there something you know is going on in your life that causes you to pull away from his presence? Because I can promise you this, right out of the word of God, he's never left us. He's never forsaken us. If there's a feeling of distance, it's not because he's left us. It's because we've strayed away from him. So Father, I pray that the words of these songs that we sang today would resonate in our spirit and we would be those who stay attached. We would not be a branch that disconnects from the vine and withers, but we'd be those who receive life and that more abundantly by staying deeply connected to your life-giving presence. Holy Spirit, come and attach us to Jesus today. It's your favorite thing to do. I pray you'd reattach those who feel that sense of distance, reattach to the vine. Today we agree with your word that apart from you we could do nothing. Apart from you, so let none be apart from you today, but all deeply woven, deeply connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Children, you may go back to your classes if you're still in here. Your teachers will meet you in the back of the room. And um, I wanna share a word with you today that might sound a little... Um, Odd, you know our heart here at Hillside, you know that we are, we, we emphasize my, my personal life's ambition is to be worthy of being accused of what Paul was accused of. He goes in and he describes um, how he was accused by people of preaching that let us sin so that grace might abound. And this is Paul, you, you read all the letters of Paul and all what he said about sin and judgment and all those things, same Paul but somehow through his preaching and through his life's message, people misunderstood his emphasis on grace. And they thought Paul went around actually saying, hey, sin all you want, God's gonna forgive you anyway. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, his response to that at the beginning of Romans 6, if I could phrase it like we would in Brooklyn, it would be, what are you, stoned? That, that would be his response to that. Are you kidding me? Of course that's not what I'm preaching. What's the point of the cross if there's no such thing as sin anymore? The whole idea of the cross is to make a way to return to the Father when we've sinned. And if you're here today or you're in the sound of my voice online and you've been thinking, boy, I really blew it this time. I'm afraid to go home. I want to urge you today to learn how to hear the voice of the Father and know the way of the Father, which is arms open wide. He's got a ring in his hands. He's got shoes ready for you, and he's got a robe to put back on you again. Don't you believe for a minute that just because the older brother met you at the gate, the older brother who doesn't even want to see you anymore, won't even call you brother at this point, if you know the parable, that's not our Father's heart. That son was the one being corrected by that parable as if to say that because you messed up one too many times, don't come back home again. I wanna to talk to you about the gift of shame. 
I bet you've never heard a message titled that before. I've never preached this before, and I do so with fear and trembling today because I want to be really careful with this subject. But I do believe this is one of those truths. How many of you know that the, the truth of the scripture is always a truth held in tension? There's always, and, and that's why we have to pay attention to it. It's truth's intention. God is merciful, God is gracious, he is forgiving. God is one that the moment we even so much as turn toward him. I mean, in the new covenant, all you gotta do is confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and that's it, you're in. You got eternal life in Christ Jesus now. And, and there is this grace thing, but there's also still such a thing as sin. And there is still such a possibility that you could live life and end up dead forever as a result of getting some things wrong and, and not living uh, in a way that's connected to the vine Jesus Christ. So I wanna talk to you about shame today because shame is one of those truths that you know, everybody really has emphasized of late, and I believe rightly so. Instead of shame on you, we say shame off of you in Jesus' name. And that is still a good word right there, and I've preached it myself. That is still a good word, but today I wanna to bring the truth back into the proper tension because shame is actually a gift of God. And I wanna to explain to you why. How many of you have ever had internal pain before? Like physical pain internally. A few years ago, six or seven years ago, I had a, a year worth of occasional intense pain right around here. Like it felt like somebody punched me in the solar plexus. You ever box or you ever get into a street, a street fight? Of course not, you're from. You get hit right here and there's this little bone right here and if it bends in, you could die actually. It's a very dangerous place to get punched and it hurts. And it would feel like that for a little bit and then I would, I would well burp a little bit and then it'd go away. So I thought it was gas. So for about a year, I had this pain internally that kept nagging at me. And I mean, there was a day we were at the water park. I don't know if you remember this day. We were at a water park down in uh, Williamsburg. We were at water country and I was trying to enjoy the day, but there was a good hour where I had to lay on my back because the pain was so intense. So I ignored it, went to Liberia, praise God nothing happened while I was there. And when I came back, that pain felt like somebody put a knife through the front of me and right out my back. And it was in the middle of a time where there was a stomach bug going around, so I didn't really pay much attention to it. Finally, I said to my wife, I gotta go to the ER. And when I say I gotta go to the ER, my wife's like, I'm calling 911, you never wanna go to the, and that's true, but this was so intense, I just couldn't bear it anymore. So we went down to the hospital, and um, they, they got me, it was so crowded, and people were puking everywhere because the stomach bug was going around. And then, you know, I, I sympathetically was doing the same, and, you know, it was, it was just this really intense moment, and the pain would not relent. It was just nonstop. I didn't get a break from it for 24 hours at this point. Finally, it was so crowded, they put me on a cot out in the hallway, and a nurse came by. I don't remember her name, but she should have been an angel from heaven because she said, I see you haven't made it into a room yet. You've been here for a long time. Would you like some morphine? I've never had anything like that in all my life. Never tried it. I never did. D drugs was not my thing. Alcohol, you're not, not those kind of drugs. She gave me some morphine. I would tell you, it felt like I understood drug addiction for the first time in my life. Let me just put it that way. Peace from the top of my head to the bottom of my body. But how many of you know that made me feel better for a few minutes? It made the pain go away. The morphine was an external substance that would have made me ignore the fact something's wrong. 
Pain is not the problem in our lives. Pain, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, the pain is not the problem. It's what's causing that pain that's the problem. Pain is our alert system. It's like a fire detector, a fire alarm in our body or in our spirit that lets us know, you got a problem here and I'm not gonna shut up until you pay attention to it. So finally they did the scans and they found out that my gallbladder was just ready to explode. It was so full of gallstones, it looked like, imagine filling a sock with rocks. There was no room for anything but those gallstones. One big one had blocked it up, and the doctor, after he pulled it out, he said it was one of the angriest gallstones he's ever pulled out. He said, dude, you've been working on that for years. I said, man, I must have a higher pain tolerance than I thought. I made the mistake of asking some women. So if you've had gallstones and labor, tell me how to compare it. Don't ever do that. Never do that. Just deal with the answer, whatever it is. But until that gallbladder was removed, that pain was not gonna go away. So that is the power, that's what shame is designed to do in us. Shame is a, a gift of God because it's given to us to protect our conscience, just like physical pain protects our body. It sends a message to our inner man, hey, don't ever do that again. When we do something that brings shame, we're ashamed of ourselves for what we've done. Yeah, you can go into a wrong direction with it, and I promise I'll address that while I'm sharing today. But the initial feeling of shame is because something in us is letting us know you're not behaving like the true you. There's something incongruous, sorry to use a big fancy word, but that's the first one that popped to mind. There's something that's not matching up, it doesn't jive. That didn't help unless you were alive in the 70s either, but there's something that doesn't line up. Your behavior and who you actually are, they're not matching up right now. That's what shame is about. Shame is that feeling like something's wrong in here. What I just did or what I just thought or the way I'm going in life right now, there's something amiss. And that feeling of shame, what we do with it, we can do the same thing we do with physical pain. We can mask it like with morphine or aspirin or whatever, choose your, your substance, we can ignore it. It won't go away, but we can, lear- we can learn how to live with it or we could do something about it. And that's what I wanna share with you today, that there are many ways to get rid of shame, but the power of shame, the gift of shame is given so that when we behave in a way contrary to our divine nature, we won't just keep going that direction. It's a mistake to turn off that feeling. It's a mistake to ignore that feeling, just like it could have been a deadly mistake for me to ignore the pain my gallbladder was sending my way. Isn't it an amazing thing? This is one of those million things that makes me think, why on earth did I ever believe evolution? Because the worse the problem inside got, the more intense the pain. Why is that? Why is it that the worse something uh, hurts, the worse the injury, the worse the disease, the more the pain? It's because if you don't listen to it at first, it's like you're, you ever, anybody use an increasing alarm like for your ringtone on your phone? Like it starts out real soft, like birds chirping and it's all nice and that. And most people can wake up to that. But if you like certain blares that I won't name from the pulpit today, you need that and then you need it to get a little bit louder and then you need a little bit louder again and it's this increasing volume until finally the people in the other room can hear it and they come and shut your alarm off for you. 
I'm not bitter about that. It's just parenting. That's just, you know, it's, <laughs> that's just what happens. But it gets louder and louder, and so it is with, with the initial feeling that we call shame. It's, it says, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, hold on a second here. This is not what you were made for. This is not what your body was made for. This is not what your heart was made for. This is not what your mind was made for. Something is wrong. Pay attention to it. And the pain, you know, if you, if you do something dumb, which all of us have done, and you get hurt, it sends a message to you and it trains you, like electroshock therapy trains you, hey, you don't wanna do that again. That's the idea of the feeling of shame. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. The first man and woman, it says of them that they were naked and they were unashamed. That's the only description we get of their initial condition. Of course they were happy, it was paradise. Of course they were happy, it was just the two of them in the garden with God, I mean, walking with them in the cool of the day. There was no problem, there was no sin, there was no death, there was no suffering, nothing at all was wrong. But to describe them, what, what's the feeling of paradise? is unashamed. That's how he described it. They were unashamed, nothing to hide. How many of you know the, the hardest pain of all is that pain that comes when, when there's this feeling like everybody's gonna reject me because of what I did or who I am? The deepest pain of all is when we feel like now I'm gonna be cast out because of something to do with me. Maybe it's something I believe I am, maybe it's something that I do. And the greatest fear that we have, it's not death. It's what the consequence of death is the separation because we were created to be in community. The man and the woman were created to be the original community on earth. And before the fall, that's right, before the fall, there was unbroken communion between the two of them. But what they do, as soon as sin entered the picture, it's the first thing they did. Then they got fig leaves because you can't really go around like this for so long. And they covered it up. They were ashamed now of their nakedness. What got lost, it wasn't just that they had their eyes opened and now they could recognize their physical nakedness is that now, now they felt shame for the first time. Something's wrong. I don't know about you, but I wish Adam and Eve would have responded better in that moment because all we find when God comes to them to say, hey, did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? All we find is that you know, they go from shame to blame. The man goes, hey, that woman that you gave me, he blames the only two people in existence, the woman and God. That woman that you gave me, she ate, she did it first, she made me do it. Then God looked at the woman and said, did you do that, woman? She didn't have the name Eve yet. Did you do that, woman? And I mean that in a good way, woman. God, you know, all right. Did you do that? And she's the first one to ever say, no, the devil made me do it. The serpent, he, he tricked me. They both passed the buck. The power of shame the purpose of shame, the purpose of this emotion, this feeling that rises up in us is that it's designed to say, whoa, 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 something's wrong. Something just broke paradise in my life. Something just disconnected me from that feeling of love that I had with God the Father and this feeling of perfect communion with him. Something broke that, so what do I need to do to get back to that place? What do I need to cut out of my life? What do I need to turn to? Aren't you glad? You already know where this message is going, right? and why I have bread up here that I baked just for us this morning. <clears throat> oh, this can be a short message now. <laughs> that power has already been broken. There's already a way that's been made. There's been a veil that's been torn and the only thing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ is nothing in all creation. It's only our choice and our will. That's the only thing we can choose because you know it's a love-based relationship. 
And if it's, if it's love-based, that means it has to be a choice. A slave is not there because he loves the master. A slave's there because he has to be there. We're not slaves. We're sons. We're daughters. We're the bride of Christ. We have an option. So because of that option, because the, the whole purpose of shame is to bring us back to him. So here's how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. In other words, this is what happened when we came to Christ. The things we used to hide because we were ashamed of them, we've renounced those things. We brought them into the light. God found us out. And then when we found out that God found us out, we found out that God loves us anyway. That there was already a cross prepared. There was already a sacrifice made. Then, boy, when revelation finally hits, before the foundations of the earth, that lamb was crucified. Before sin even entered the picture, God had already made a way for us to return. He devised means, as the old woman told David, that his banished ones would not remain estranged from him. But he found a way to help us find the way back home again. And we have renounced those things that we used to hide because of shame. And when I walk in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Shame works with our conscience. Shame is what we feel when our conscience has been violated. We feel like something's wrong, there's something amiss, and the gift of God of our conscience is an amazing thing. I don't wanna spend too much time, I've taught and preached on this before, but conscience is that built-in mechanism that, yeah, we can have the word of God, which tells us what's right and wrong. God can speak to us and tell us what's right and wrong, but how many of you know being made in the image and likeness of God, God already hardwired into us what right and wrong is? That's why in Romans 2 it says that nobody's with excuse, nobody has an excuse, because the ones who don't have the law of God, their conscience convicts them. Their conscience lets them know this is right, this is wrong. That's why every people group has certain rules, and they're like murder is always out of the question. Um, uh, the robbery is always out of the question. There's certain things that are so hardwired into us because we were made in God's image and likeness. The law of God comes out of his heart and so were we born out of his heart. We were born by the word of God. And so when we come up to these things and we find out that our conscience is being violated, the first emotion we feel is shame. Now what we do with that shame determines our future. What we do at that moment when our conscience feels violated, that's ourselves, that's something in us talking to us saying, change your course change direction, get away from that thing that you just got into, that thing that you just did, this lifestyle that you're choosing, get away from that thing and get back into the place where God's presence is because his kingdom is righteousness, which comes from his peace and from his joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. When those three things are together, now you got the kingdom of God. That is the definition of paradise. So how many of you wanna build paradise in the earth? About eight or nine of you, we'll work on that. So shame applied from within, from the conscience. When shame comes from a voice inside of us, it's a gift of God that urges us toward repentance. That's the purpose of the feeling of shame. It's an urging turn. The, the word repentance means turn. Change the way you think, turn away from that direction you're heading. That's what repentance is really all about. But when shame comes from an outside voice, that's when we're starting to get prone to condemnation. Now, outside voice, of course, we have an accuser 
who lives night and day, and all, you know, of all the nicknames we could have given to Satan, is the accuser of the brethren. He does so much evil. That's all he does. He steals, kills, destroys. That's what he does. But what's his nickname in the scriptures? The accuser of the brethren. Why? Because if he can keep us bottled up in that place of shame, if he could keep us where Adam and Eve were before God made for them clothes from a sacrificed animal, that's another message for another day, he made a way for them. He said, look, you can't cover your nakedness. Those fig leaves, that's pathetic. You look ridiculous. I'm gonna show you the way of sacrifice. I'm gonna show you how someone can stand in the place for you and you don't have to cover yourself because of your shame. I will cover you because I love you. When the outside voice like, of the accuser comes, sometimes we agree with the accuser and then it becomes an inside voice. You know how that works? The outside voice of the accuser is shame on you for what you did. This is the devil's game every time. Can I just let you in on his playbook? I have his, we have his playbook. He first comes tempting, saying, hey, there's no problem with that. There's not gonna be any consequence if you do that. Everybody does it. There's no problem. God's holding out on you somehow. This thing that you know you're not supposed to do, don't listen to that voice, just do it. You're not gonna die. Sure, you will not surely die, he said to Eve, and he always comes that way. He comes and he sets a trap and he trips us up in a moment of weakness or he comes after us in our strength when we're not paying attention. We stumble into sin and then he comes back again. Shame on you, you filthy pig. Nobody, if anybody ever found out what you just did, don't you show up for church on Sunday morning and don't you take communion when they start passing it out because you'll die. There are messages preached like that. I hope, uh, hope that just canceled that out for you. That's the enemy's voice. The problem with us is that when we listen, how many of you know you begin to agree with whatever you listen to too much? We start entertaining that voice. If we start entertaining any voice that says, because you sinned, you're a sinner again now, even though God said you're a saint, even though God said that day that you received Jesus Christ, you went from darkness into the light. Well, you're not behaving like a child of light, so you're still a child of darkness. That's the voice of the accuser. That's what condemnation sounds like. That's when somebody says, shame on you. Shame on you. Don't ever use that expression. Parents, don't ever say that to your kids. Please, don't ever put shame on somebody in its right place it's a gift of God. It's an internal mechanism to bring to repentance. What we want to do in raising our kids and what we want to do, uh, what I hope to do and what all the leaders hope to do in discipling and raising people up is to tune us in and make us extra sensitive to the voice of conscience. So we have an internal regulator. We don't need somebody to tell us what's right and wrong. We just follow that voice on the inside. We listen to it, we obey it, and we don't need anybody to teach us and say, know the Lord because we all know the Lord. We're all walking with him, that's our goal. But when you try to put shame on somebody and make them feel guilty, sometimes we do that in how we preach the gospel. We try to make somebody feel convicted about their sin. Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit that will lead them into conviction of sin and in righteousness. The Holy Spirit's job. We preach the message, Holy Spirit does the work because it's an internal work. You can't put shame on somebody. It's something that's from within for us and as children of God, as those who love and know the Lord, it's a gift of God, and when we hear it, the simple solution is to repent. 
Here's how 2 Corinthians 7, Paul said, for the sorrow that's according to the will of God reproduces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. How can you tell the difference between condemnation and conviction? How do you know between the two? Conviction makes you feel like, all right, I'm restored. I'm back in the game again right now. Yeah, I blew it. I'm gonna learn from that. I'm gonna let that voice of shame, that voice that made me feel terrible for what I did, I'm not gonna ignore it, I'm gonna pay attention to it, and I'm gonna let that voice remind me, hey, never do that again. Because there's no worse feeling than being separated from God. No worse feeling from being isolated and outside of, of God's presence. There is no worse feeling. Every bad feeling comes from that place. So God's will, when we repent that way, it leads to repentance without regret. So we're not beating ourselves up for what happened in the past. How do we know we've really repented in a good godly sorrow kind of way? When we think about those things we did before, it doesn't come with that feeling of shame on you. There's no voice saying shame on you for what you did before. That's real repentance. That's the fruits of actually coming with a godly sorrow and saying, God, I agree with your word. I am guilty of that sin. I'm guilty of that thing. And now I'm throwing myself at the mercy of the court. Forgive me. Because the sorrow of the world produces death. Tale of two disciples. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Judas was the one who did the deed. Judas went and sold himself out for the pieces, 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed the Lord. He kissed him in the garden, and all the disciples left. Well, the same night that that happened, Peter denied the Lord three times, just like Jesus said he would. Surely spinning around in Peter's mind were the words of Jesus, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father, which has its own meaning in its context. I don't want to go there right now. But they both were guilty that night of forsaking the Lord. Yeah, Judas did the, the worst deed, if we want to judge it that way. But Judas made his own salvation. He, he had a sorrow of the world that literally produced death. He was sorrowful, it says, for what he had done and the shame of what he'd done caught up with him and he went and committed suicide on that night. It literally brought death. Peter had the same kind of sorrow that filled his heart. He was so ashamed of himself that when Jesus met up with them there, the day of the miraculous catch at the end of the Gospel of John, he, didn't, he was hiding from Jesus. He didn't go and, and greet him, even though initially he dived off the boat with all his clothes on, swam back to shore, but it says he was kind of hovering back and Jesus restored him on that day and Peter repented that day and Peter was restored and became a disciple who became an apostle who went and changed the world. We have the option of which one to do. The internal voice of shame says to us, you're better than this. This is not who you are. Anybody have a really good coach? really good coach. Pick your sport, really good coach. If they're screaming in your face, like my water polo coach used to do. If you had a football coach, they always do that. I mean, that's all I've ever heard them do. Do wrestling coaches do that? Noah, do you yell at your guys because you're mad at them or because you want to pull out the best that's in them? Because you want to pull out the best. There is this voice. There is this voice that says you are better than this. I am in your face about this right now because this is not who you are. I love you too much to let this hold you back from the fullness. You're like looking at the promised land right now. You're on the other side of the river. Stop living on this side. I'm urging you to go in and possess all of what the promise of God has for you. That's what the voice of truth says. You are better than this. That's what the shame is designed to produce inside of us. It says stop it. You're better than this. This is not who you are. The external voice is always trying to convince us, see, you're not worthy of God's love. 
You know, worthy of God's love. Even though you believe it, even though God said so, even though you know what his word says about who you are, you've ruminated. You all know what that is, right? When you read Romans 8 and over and over again, and you ruminate on the truth of that passage. If you have no other scripture after today, Romans 8. Just read it over and over and over again. Read it in eight different translations. Read it over and over again until it gets deep in your spirit because then shame will have no place because it starts out, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. All of the whole book of Romans till it gets to that chapter is leading up to that point. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Does it mean that you're never gonna feel shame again? Absolutely not. There are gonna be moments that you're convicted, you feel that sense of, ah, that's not who I am. Don't give in to that voice. Remember, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later on, it is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? God's justified, there's no chance that we could be condemned again. So what we do with shame from that moment, if we judge ourselves as unworthy, then we reject the benefit of shame, we traded it in for condemnation. That's where we could go with this. So there are a lot of options where we go with shame. There, there are things that we can do, but I wanna reassure us of something today. There's sometimes the feeling of what we did. Maybe it's the thousandth time we fell into it. Maybe it's something that's so grievous to us that we feel like, man, this is the biggest thing I'll ever ask for forgiveness for so far in my life. Whatever the cause may be, if we judge ourselves as unworthy of, it, of his love, we've condemned ourselves. Our heart has therefore become the accuser. That's then, then the devil's won the game. When the devil no longer has to accuse because our heart's accusing us, because we know what we did, and I've had people say it right to my face when I'm helping them get free of some kind of recurring sin issue, like an addiction or some kind of behavior that they're having tr trouble getting out of. And then it comes to this point of feeling like that I'm never gonna be free, and my heart knows the truth. If you knew what I really did, you would know too that I'm beyond forgiveness right now. I've had those words come out of people's mouths. I wanna tell you that when, when we disagree with God's word, just get it right out now, you're wrong. If we disagree with God's word, we're wrong. We're wrong, he's right every time. That's just a basic premise, I can't prove that to you. Either he's God or he's not. And what he says about us, it's true or it's not. When we trade that in for condemnation, here's a good word, and 1 John, by the way, is another really good letter. If you struggle with the shame condemnation thing, read 1 John. It's, it's more chapters than Romans 8, but it's really good stuff. Read it eight times over in eight different translations till the truth of it soaks in. But we know this, we're of the truth and we'll assure our heart before him because in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You know when you feel something so deeply, you just can't even imagine that anything else is true. When we get to a place where we just believe something and we even say it with all of our hearts, we can't see the truth if it's right in front of our face. That's how condemnation works. When our heart is agreed with that spirit of condemnation, and now we believe it with all of our hearts to the point where even our heart, it's like we have an argument going on inside of ourselves and both sides are saying, you're doomed now, it's over. You're no longer a child of God. Our heart, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. You could say to anybody that's walking with you, working with you, praying with you, what well, you don't understand. You can't say that to God. Yeah. I mean, you could say it, but it's a dumb thing that we say to God. I've said it, that's why I could say it's a dumb thing. Of course he knows, of course he understands. He knew it before we did it. 
He created the solution for it at the cross before we even had the problem that needed the cross applied to it. You guys okay today? I'm excited about this because I, I don't know, I just feel free every time I think about it. Because if anyone says he's without sin, he's a liar and the truth isn't within him. That's in 1 John also. But, but, but God is a liar and truth's not in him, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. The only thing that would cause a child of God not to be confident before God is when our hearts condemned us. The devil could say whatever he wants. He's a liar. He's a worse liar. I was about to make a slam against news outlets, but he just makes stuff up even. If, if the truth won't do, you know, the best lies have a morsel of truth. If there's no morsel of truth to work with, he'll just flat out make stuff up and bring that condemnation in. So if we don't allow that condemnation, don't agree with that condemnation, well now we have confidence before God. So when we embrace shame that leads into condemnation, here's what we do. The burden requires something of us. That is too great a burden to bear. To walk around feeling ashamed and feeling condemned, that is a weight that no heart can handle for very long. So here's some options that we have. We can either punish ourselves or harden our heart against its voice. If repentance is in our way, punish ourselves or harden our heart against its voice. Here's how Paul said it in 1 Timothy. The Spirit explicitly says, in latter times, people will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, and by the means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So, that voice of conscience is nagging at us. Get out of this lifestyle, get out of this thing. It's contrary to the divine nature. It's not what you're made for. We get tired of hearing that voice, and so we tune it out. Or worse than that, we take that part of our heart and we sear it. Anybody have any scars? Like you get a really bad injury, have a scar, can you feel anything on that scar? The feeling's gone, right? If you get seared with a branding iron, there is no feeling in that place where the scar remains. And so we do this to ourselves, we sear our conscience, meaning stop feeling that shame. Stop feeling like that thing you did was wrong. I don't wanna hear it anymore. And we learn how to shut that voice down. Now we've become hardened in our heart so that we could call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Or we find these justifications for doing things that we know are harmful to us and are harmful to the people around us. This is how narcissists are made. This is how people that do hurtful, harmful things to the people around them, how, how can, you know, you might ask, how can they do that? How can somebody be so, you know, aggressively mean to everybody all the time? Their conscience has been seared. And so the, there is no feeling there. Uh, even a next step beyond that, Paul describes some in Philippians whose end is destruction, whose God's their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame. Well, now we've really come to a place of calling that which God says is wrong, sinful, evil. Now we're saying it's good and we're glorying in it. We're proud of that even. We're no longer under it. We're no longer gonna feel that voice. No, we're gonna say this is okay now. God's okay with this now. This is no longer on that list of things that we shouldn't do. We're putting it on the list that are okay to do. And that's the end of it. So living with shame, staying under it, it's a sure formula for depression it's a formula for heavy heartedness. And I wanna encourage you today, we're made for better things. We're made for better things. So I wanna to read to you Psalm 32. And Stephanie, this is 
spontaneous because I forgot to tell you before, but would you please get up and just sing I love you, Lord, just kind of softly worship over us as we share in communion right now. Um, now I'm gonna ask Paul, can you get the um, elements ready there? We're gonna have some ushers in the front and back and I'm gonna break this bread in just a moment as I read this over you and I'll, I'll explain how we're gonna share in communion today because I believe that in this, in this breaking of bread today, that in this communion, restoring our connection with God, restoring our uh, coming out from behind our fig leaves, getting out from under the shame, which maybe has led some of us into condemnation, that today God's gonna reunite us and it's gonna feel so good. Sorry about that. <laughs> Brian got it. Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there's no conceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, it was like your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. So I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you know what happened? You forgave the guilt of my sin. Every time without fail, that's the response from heaven. There has never once been a time in all history, old covenant or new, or even before the old covenant was established, never been a time that somebody came to God and said, God, I confess what I did was wrong. Would you please forgive me that God said no? Never been a time. It's not in his nature to be unforgiving. It's not in his nature to turn away those who sincerely want to be restored to their communion with him. He just never does it. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. The power of what God has done in revealing himself to us through Christ is that unlike Adam and Eve, instead of hiding from God now, when that shame begins to bubble up, we hide in God. That's a powerful truth that'll change our lives. Can we stand to our feet? I'm gonna pray and uh, Stephanie's gonna sing over us as we do this, but I'm gonna ask you to prepare to break up into groups of five or six or something like that. Family stay together, get together with a group of people around you and prepare um, to share in this, I would like one of you in the group, whichever of you feels a grace. You, you've been hearing the word I've shared today and you feel a grace like, you know what? It's an amazing thing that Jesus said to his apostles. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Now he wasn't giving them authority to just go and declare you're forgiven when you're in sin, but he was giving them, I believe, in a holy mission to go out to all of those who are held under shame and all of those who are held under condemnation to decree to them, hey, I just want you to know on behalf of the Father, your sins have been forgiven. You don't need to stay under that yoke of condemnation any longer. Your sins are forgiven. Now go in freedom 
Go in freedom. Don't do it again, but go in freedom from this place. If you feel on you like, you know what? I believe that with all my heart and I want to be able to pray and impart that to my group today, then I'd like you to be the one to come forward and grab a piece from this loaf, which I'll break in just a moment. So Father, I pray that you would come even now and inhabit our communion with you right now. Make this far more than a ritual. Today, Jesus, I pray that you would come and make us alive to you and reconnect us with you. I pray that you would search our hearts and find if there be any wicked way in us, bring it to the surface so that we could just lay it at your feet and be reconciled to you through the cross. Come Holy Spirit and inhabit this communion now as we prepare to join together with Christ Jesus afresh. Amen. All right, so everybody come and grab some juice. There's ushers in the front and back. And uh, one, one person from each group come and grab a piece from this loaf to be able to break and share with your group. In Hebrews 12, we find out what Jesus did to shame on the cross. And it's a powerful revelation. There's a sense that, yeah, Jesus endured some shame on the cross because it was a shameful way to die. But here's the example that he set before us and what he did with shame. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's lay aside the encumbrance. Let's lay aside the sin that entangles us and run with perseverance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Despising the shame meant that he neutralized its power. That's what despising means. As I shared with you recently about prophecy, when we despise prophecy, we neutralize the authority and power of it. So we can do with shame. Let's join with Jesus in despising the shame and saying, shame, you have no power to control my life and bring me into condemnation. Shame, you are defeated at the cross. Jesus already disempowered you. And now I'm gonna go from this place in freedom. I'm gonna go from this place in newness of life. And if you feel like you need ministry today, if you feel like, man, I've been under shame for so long, it's brought me into condemnation. I have a hard time believing what the pastor even shared today. Would you ask for prayer in your group? Would you ask some saints of God who have been given authority by Jesus to decree the sins of any, they've been forgiven? You can decree forgiveness of sins to those who are humble and asking for it and use your authority in Christ Jesus to impart that forgiveness so there'd be a feeling of whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And when you're finished, we're gonna just wrap up our service now. There won't be anybody else on the mic. Stephanie's gonna keep ministering over us. God bless you, I'll see you at the picnic, but take your time and really enjoy the presence of the Lord right now as you enjoy this freedom.